Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? All right. Wow, this is like, yeah, it's been sleepy every hour. Can we just, just so I know you're alive, can we do that one more time? How are we doing this morning? All right. Like, you're alive. Congratulations. Um, so my name is John Anderson. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, and this is kind of a fun fact for me. So in my nearly 20 years of uh, vocational ministry, this is the first time I've ever preached two weekends in a row. So uh, this is kind of exciting. Um, yeah, and that's great, but here's the deal. Like, I've realized that there's, like, thousands of, uh, tens of thousands of pastors all over the world that do this all the time. So what I've come to realize is, like, wow, uh, props to them. So props to Mark and, and uh, people all over the planet that yeah. do this week in and week out. Um, and also, happy Mother's Day to yeah. you all. Just We'll just keep clapping. There you go. Final one, we'll see if this gets a clap, is uh, welcome to anybody who's near, new here for the first time. If you've decided to join us. This is going to be a long service, y'all. <laughs> so, but no, for real, like, we're so glad you've decided to join us. Now, uh, let, me, let me get started. So if you don't know this about me already, and chances are you might not, because might not, we don't know each other that well yet. You're about to. Um, I'm kind of a nerd. And one of my nerdy qualities is that I love language, especially the English language. I speak that better than anything else. Um, and for me, like, I love learning about definitions of new words that I didn't know before. Or sometimes how, like, one word means something now, but it used to mean something else. Like, I think that's so cool. Um, and just an example of my nerdiness is that my wife and I, we get a subscription to Reader's Digest, which I realize makes me 80 years old. So... <laughs> I also realize there's 80-year-olds in the room who are like, no, we're cooler than that. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Um, but at the end of each of those issues, there's this little section where uh, they have a list of different words that are kind of rarely used English words. And then on the other side, they have a list of definitions. And the whole thing is you're trying to match like the word with the definition. For me, that's a good time. So for a moment, because I have the mic and you don't, I'm going to bring you into my nerdery. And fun fact, that's a word. So um, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to share with you three words that uh, are probably very familiar to all of you. You're going to know the definitions of these words. But then we're going to unveil the original meaning of those words. So are you ready? Yeah. Let's get nerdy together. All right, here we go. First one is this, uh, a girl. And a girl is a... A female child is not a trick question. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't I think I know that one. <laughs> All right, but did you know that originally this word was used to describe a child or a young person of either sex? Whoa. Some of you are Googling that right now. That's great. Um, okay, second one. Here we go. The word is nice, which means a pleasant, agreeable, or satisfactory. Uh, so you could say you're, you know, you're a nice person or you look nice today. But did you know that originally from the 1300s to the 1600s, this word meant silly, foolish, or ignorant? So here's the deal. Later today, especially because it's Mother's Day, some of you might say you look nice today. At that point, you may want to have a follow-up conversation. So just to clarify. All right. And then the third one, this is my personal favorite, uh, is the word meat, which is a synonym for delicious. It's not true. Um, but meat is flesh of any animal as food. But did you know that originally in the Old English, it meant any solid food or fodder for animals? So I found this old sentence that said, described how a horse could not go a whole day without water or meat. Fun fact. Now, how, just, just kind of to gauge the room, what kind of people we have in here. Did any of you know any of those already? 
Like a, f- a few of you, that's awesome. So you are my fellow nerds. So uh, there's a group for us, so we can meet afterwards. Um, now, why are we talking about this? Because uh, we are starting a new series that is all about a word that its current definition means something very different for the vast majority of people than its original meaning. And that word is church. So in our current uh, cultural context, the word church uh, means something very different now than it used to mean. For the majority of people, uh, it means a place that we go, like we're going to church. It's it's a destination. Or for others, it means a, a building, right? We have church buildings, or yet still for others, it's maybe a gathering of family or friends who, who come together and you know, do life together. And yet still for others, it's, um, it's a place to go to, to experience healing or spiritual growth or to worship. And those things are not necessarily bad things. But because there's so many different understandings of this word church, we're going to be going through a series over the next few weeks called Be the Church that's going to be exploring what the original understanding was, of church is, was, why it exists, and what it has to do with our lives. Now, as you look in Scripture, uh, in Acts chapter 2, this is an early part of the New Testament, we see that the origins of the Christian church, and and pretty quickly, you see as the story unfolds, that the church spreads out throughout the known world uh, rather rapidly. And next week, Pastor Ryan, the new uh, pastor up at the DeForest campus, will be talking more about this. But as we're watching these churches develop uh, in history, we see that all of them faced a number of different challenges. One of those challenges that kind of was universal was they were trying to clarify their purpose, why they exist, and then also like what it looked like for them to live out their faith in their given context. And what I love about this is that's very much the same thing with churches today in, in the world. And the churches we observe in Scripture have just as many, if not more, issues than our churches have today, which I find personally uh, really helpful because it reminds me that we are not the only messed up group of people. Now, one of these churches that had a lot of issues, and if you want to check out how many of them, I just recommend you read this whole letter, but they had a lot of crazy stuff going on, was a church in Corinth. Now, this was a church that the Apostle Paul uh, helped plant. And then he went on to plant other churches because that's just kind of what his ministry was. And while he was planting those other churches, he heard back about what was happening in the church in Corinth. And it was not good. So he writes a letter to them to address some of the issues that are going on in their community. And this is a letter that we now call 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, he's specifically addressing some of the issues that happen when they're gathered together. So if you're trying to picture that, it'd be a little bit like what's happening right here in the room, right? What we might call the worship service or worship gathering. Now, one of the specific issues when they were gathering together was that their community was treating certain individuals with high regard, high esteem because of the gifts that they had. And then other people within the church, they were just kind of ignoring, dismissing, marginalizing. And because that was happening, it was leading to all kinds of discord, broken relationships, and disunity within the church. So Paul hears about this, and he writes them to remind them what it looks like to be a healthy community that's centered around Jesus. And so we are going to join that conversation in chapter 12, verse 12. Um, But let me just kind of give a little bit more context. So at the beginning of chapter 12, Paul has just written them to tell them that they all have a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of that gift is to serve one another. But he also tells them that none of them have all the gifts, right? But not only that, there's no one gift that everyone has. Does that make sense? 
And so inherent in that is there's this diversity of gifts that are equally important, but different, and they're meant to serve one another and to bring about unity even in the midst of this diversity. And now we're going to see that he uses this metaphor to try to communicate the same thing, where, there, where unity and diversity should coexist. And what we're going to see very much can help us inform us what we should look like as a church. So with that said, take your Bibles if you haven't already and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll start in verse 12. And you can follow along on your phones, your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Here's what Paul writes. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one, start to catch the theme here, by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, we are, we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Okay, so let me just pause here. So Paul's giving us this metaphor that's really actually easy for us to grasp, right? He's saying that the church is like a body. So I want to do something here together. So take your hand, right? We, we all have a hand. There you go. Um, and look at it just for a second. Like look at the, the back, the front, wiggle your fingers a little bit. Now here's what I love about this. This has happened every service. A lot of you don't participate, and I can see you. <laughs> so for real, take your hand. And look at it. All right. Now, the hand is incredible. Like, I don't know anatomy super well, but there's a lot going on here just by doing this, right? Still a lot of you are like, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'll do it for you. Fine. Okay. And here's what's amazing to me is the hand is just part of the body, right? It's just one part of the greater whole. And this is what Paul is saying is that there's many diverse parts, and yet they make up one body. Now, what does that diversity look like? Well, he, he explains it a little bit more in verse 13. So look back at that. Part of that diversity that Paul is talking about is one that crosses economic, socioeconomic groups, race, and ethnicity. So back in those days, uh, it was very uncommon for Jews and Gentiles, for slaves and free people, for the rich and poor to do life together, to be in community, to be side by side in relationship. That was I can't like say it enough. It was like incredibly countercultural. And so when that happened, people noticed. And yet, when functioning the, according to its design, that's the kind of unity that is supposed to be found within the church. It's a place where back, what, regardless of the background, the education, the skin color, the age, the gender, all people are unified because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this is just part of, like, the Spirit's M.O. It's, it's what the Spirit of God does. It unites those that are usually divided. And when this happens, oh, man, it becomes a powerful witness to the character of God. And people notice. And it's very countercultural. And it was not normal back then, and it's not normal today. And now Paul goes on to describe how the parts of the body should not interact with each other. Now, there's not a lot of parts in Scripture that I think uh, are inherently trying to be comedic, but this is one of them. So as you read this, what I want to encourage you to do is try to picture what Paul is describing and get the word pictures in your mind. Um, so we'll continue to read together in verse 15. Here's what he writes. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, 
Because I'm not an eye. I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. All right, let me pause here. So Paul is using humor to point out that no part of our body can decide it doesn't want to be part of the body anymore or that it can, or that it can decide to change into something else. Right? None of us ever wake up in the morning with our foot saying to us, hey, good morning, um, today I'm going to be a hand or I'm out. Right? Like, one, you should say, like, why is my foot talking? Um, and I, if that ever happens to you, like, this is a, the beginning of a very bad day for you, so I'm so sorry. Right? This doesn't happen. This is ridiculous. Because a given body part is what it is. It can't switch to something else. And um, also, Paul reminds us that, we, that our body needs every part. And then he goes on to say that our body would stop functioning if, our, if the parts had the freedom to choose and they all decided to be the same thing. Right? He's saying, like, what is the good of a giant eyeball? Nothing. What's the good of an ear by, by itself? This idea, is, it's ridiculous even to think about. It would look maybe a little bit like, like this. There you go. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. This should make us laugh. And yet, here's what's happening, is that this is how the church was functioning. They, they were treating certain gifts and abilities with such high regard that everybody wanted to be able to do that thing. And they were ignoring and marginalizing other gifts and abilities. And while it's maybe easy for us from where we sit as we read this text to judge this church and be like, yeah, man, wow, that's, really, that's messed up. I think it's really important for us to ask ourselves the question, how might we have these same tendencies? Are there certain talents or abilities that we hold in such high esteem that perhaps we forget other gifts and abilities? How can we be a church that honors every person, every part of our body? And Paul begins to address that very question as we continue on. Verse 21, he writes this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Okay, so Paul is essentially making the same point again, but this time from a different angle. And so what he's saying is that there's no part of our body that can turn to the other part of the body and say like, hey, I don't really like you, so you're out, sorry, you're gone. No, it doesn't work like that. In fact, we take great care of the parts that we sometimes think of as weaker. And we're very conscious of the parts of our body that we want to keep private. That's why I got dressed today. <laughs> right? You're welcome. Like, this would have been the most awkward, shortest, and final ser sermon I would have ever given. <laughs> and yet, Paul, Paul's point here is that our body, it's interconnected, and every part is equally important, even though there's a diverse roles that are played. And what I love about this is when he says this, he's leveling the playing field. And he's saying to the church in Corinth that you need every member to be healthy for the whole. 
Now, this is important to notice, though, that equal importance does not mean equal treatment. Look back at the text. We see here that different parts of the body are being treated differently, that the parts that might seem least vital or get the least amount of time in the spotlight actually receive the most honor. Do you see this here? So what does that mean for us as a church? Well, <laughs> I would suggest that sometimes we get this one backwards. How can we be a place that deeply appreciate each other in every role, but that we go out of our way to look for the people who are sometimes forgotten or marginalized or working behind the scenes to roll out the red carpet for them? How do we become that kind of place? And Paul continues on this theme of caring for the body. Uh, let's go back to the text, uh, verse 24, the second half of verse 24 continues to say this. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. See, there it is. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. So there you go. Verse 27 is just a summary of the whole thing, right? He's saying, you are the body of Christ, and every one of you is part of it. And in these last couple of verses, Paul points to God's design. This should bring up images from the beginning of Genesis where God is creating. And he's saying that he's putting the body together with intentionality, that the parts are not the parts by accident. No, no, no. There's design and intent here. And the design and intent behind this created diversity is to have unity when centered around Christ, where every part is using their gifts to serve one another. It's full participation. And when one part suffers, all suffer. And when one is honored, all rejoice. Now, we experience this reality in our actual bodies all the time, especially the part about suffering. So um, just this last week, I don't know if this was like God working to help give me an illustration or what, but uh, I was doing something and I got a little sliver like right in the end of my middle finger on my right hand here. Um, and it was so tiny, like you could hardly even see it. And so when it happened, uh, I didn't really feel any pain and I just kind of went on and didn't do anything about it. Later that day, I was helping uh, prepare dinner and I was squeezing limes. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly where this is going. Yes. And I got lime juice in the end of where that little tiny, tiny little cut was. And all of a sudden, I went from like just fine to like my whole body was on high alert. And what happened next is I quote, I was like, ah, ooh, ah, ah, ooh, ah, and I'm like dancing around the kitchen. My kids are like, what is happening to dad? This is not okay. And in fact, even when I was preparing for today, I was like practicing that. And my son's like, don't do that in front of people. They'll think you're hurt. He's a really sensitive kid, so I was like, I think they'll be okay. But in that moment, th this tiny little cut on the outer edges of my body, suddenly it was suffering, and it didn't suffer alone. No, my whole body suffered with it. And we should be like that for each other as a church. In times of mourning, how do we mourn together? In times of celebration, how do we celebrate together? But here's the challenge, right? How in the world... Do we do something like that for each other when we're in a big church like this, right? This is just one of many services gathering together that make up who we are as Door Creek Church. None of us have capacity to do that all for each other, right? We, we just, we don't have those capabilities as a human being. And so here's my encouragement is 
If you're not already, this is one of the key reasons why we encourage everybody to be in a small group or a life group where you're doing life together. Or maybe it's serving in a smaller community together. But you're doing life together so that when those times of celebration or suffering happen, you have people to do it with. And you do it with them in return. Because we're like a body with many diverse parts that are called to be unified when we're focusing and worshiping Jesus. Now, for the last few minutes, I want to just get really practical with y'all. I'll give you three different application points. And these uh, three applications are not all the applications. In fact, this is the cool thing about Scripture, right, is you can, we just keep, like, applying it for forever, probably. But here's three that I, I hope are helpful uh, for us as a church. So the first is this. is we're a body with many diverse parts, and therefore we have the opportunity, and here's the key word, opportunity, to be a powerful witness to God's character. But to truly be a place that embraces diversity and remains unified around Christ is actually really hard work. As Martin Luther King famously uh, let us know that the, the most segregated time in our country is at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning. And that was true then, and sadly that continues to be true now. And so... There's lots of reasons why this is the case. But the bottom line is it's going to take tremendous hard work and intentionality on all our parts for us to be able to grow in diversity and remain united. Now, to truly be a diverse community that's centered around Christ, one of the keys is that we must be able to set aside our many preferences. All right, we all come to these gatherings with lots of preferences. And that's okay. That's fine. That's, how, that's, that's part of who we are. We all have tastes and preferences. We, we have preferences about the kind of music we like, preferences about the length of the service, about the, the type of coffee that we drink, about what's hanging up on the walls, about the dress code, about the preaching style, about hundreds and thousands of other social cues and cultural cues that surround us, most of which we don't even notice when we're in the majority. But the key or one of the keys for us to become an increasingly diverse church that is united around Christ is that we must keep Christ at the center and let a whole bunch of our preferences go out the window. We must exist and live with some amount of discomfort when it comes to our preferences because we know that diversity is worth it. And if we're willing to go there, here's what's going to happen. Or maybe this is happening. is people see that and they see something different. They notice because that's not normal and God is glorified. And what happens is we begin to live out this microcosm of the reality that it is, will one day be true. One day, we see in Revelation, that all nations and tribes will be united around the throne of God. And there will be more diversity than we can possibly imagine and yet incredible unity around worshiping God. And when we live out that and a little glimpse of that now, we, we cast a, a vision for what will be, and it's a good vision. The second point is that we are one body with many diverse parts, and therefore we need each other. Now that one might feel a little bit like, I, I get that, that's intuitive, right? Obviously we need each other. This feels like kind of a snooze point maybe. But here's the deal. We live in a culture where built into the ethos of who we are as a country is that we love to celebrate the self-made man, the self-made woman. We love celebrating self-reliance and independence within our country. It's part of who we are. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. 
unless we apply it to Christianity. Because nowhere in Scripture do we find the Lone Ranger Christian. Right? It's possible that someone can be saved and lived outside of community, but it's not healthy. This image of the church being a body reminds us that we are part of something bigger. And because we're just a part, just like the body, we can't function without the other parts. And so one response to recognizing this truth is that we become a community of people that are deeply grateful for one another. That we recognize the way other people are serving and we've become a place that just says thank you all the time. And so here, let me just get super, super practical. On your way out today, what I'd love to encourage you to do is take a moment, this can truly be a moment, and just say thank you to somebody. Maybe it's thank you to the people who are watching your kids right now and teaching them. Maybe it's thank you to the people who helped you find a seat as you came in. Or thank you to the people who are leading in music or running sound and lights or the hundreds of other people who are around here doing all kinds of different things. Just stop and say, hey, tell me your name. Hey, thank you so much for what you do here. I really appreciate it. It could be that simple. Or uh, maybe even better is take five minutes this week to write a handwritten thank you note to one other person here and just say, hey, thank you for what you do. I appreciate it because, and, you know, answer that however. My guess is that will mean way more to them than you have any idea. The third point of application is really interrelated with the other two, and it's this. It's a one body with many diverse parts, and therefore, we all have a role to play to be the church that God has called us to be. Now, one of the common misconceptions uh, about staff at a church is that my job, the job of the staff, is to do ministry. If and when that happens here, we are no longer doing our jobs. At least not according to the Apostle Paul. Here's, here's what he writes to the church in Ephesus. He says this. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. These are the people we usually think of on staff. To equip his people, that's you all, for the works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And so the staff here, my job, the job of the rest of the staff, is to equip the church to do ministry. Our job is to encourage you, to train you, to support you, to align you, and then to release you to do ministry. That's what we're supposed to be all about. And here's the, the, the amazing thing is every single one of you who has placed your faith in Christ, you have been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of that gift is to be used to serve one another within the community. And when you don't use it, we all miss out. We become like this body where certain parts are not functioning. And so for all of our sakes, for my sake, for the sake of the person sitting next to you, be the body part you were created to be. Use your gifts to serve others within the church and allow yourself to be served and return. Now, a common barrier at this point, um, if you're tracking along with me, is for some of you to be thinking, okay, I get it. Like, I see that in the text. I understand. You've convinced me, but I don't know what my gifts are. Like, I don't even know where to start. If that's your question, that's a great question. And one of the things we do here is we have something called uh, Discovering Your Design. This is a class that's all about trying to help you understand more of how God's wired you, the gifts and passions that you have, and then try to help you understand also how you can connect some of those things to some of the things that are happening within our community as a church. 
And to find out more information, you can just go to our website. Look for Discovering Your Design, if you want to write that out now. Look for that, and then what's going to come up is a form, and you just fill that out, and you'll get more information the next time the class happens. And it happens throughout the year several different times. So I encourage you to check that out. But an even more immediate application would be this. Just start serving. Just start serving. And this is what I, w I would recommend. And, and the chances are you, you may not land in the perfect place right away, but you learn as you go. And as somebody told me earlier this week, you can't steer a car that's not moving. So just, just get involved. And according to our surveys, I think it's 40 to 50% of our church currently uh, is serving in some way, shape, or form. And actually, by like national standards, that's phenomenal. That's really great. But that also means that there's about 50 to 60% of us who are not serving. And if this passage is true, that means we are missing out. And so I just want to encourage you, get involved. This is how, very much how I learned to use my gifts. I just started volunteering, uh, gosh, a long time ago. And I, pretty quickly I learned a bunch of things that I'm not good at. One of the things I learned that I'm not good at is I should never be part of a team that tries to fix stuff. Like for the sake of the stuff, should not be on that team, right? I just, like, I'm not, I don't have that ability. But I think in the process, I have learned other things that I, I am good at and that hopefully are blessing and encouraging our community as a church as I use those gifts. Now, as you heard in the announcements today, there is a, a Be the Church board, and it's out, this, out the doors, and you go right across from the coffee shop. It looks, it's a cool-looking board. On that board are loads of different ways that you can get involved here. So here's what I'd love to encourage you all to do is on your way out, stop by that board if you haven't already, grab one of those cards, fill out the information, and just get in the game. And our goal here, and I want to be really clear about this, is not to just fill a bunch of spots with just like whoever and then be just more busy with churchy stuff. No, no, no. Our goal is to be a community of people where 100% of the people are using their gifts and talents to serve one another. And I realize that not 100% of you are going to necessarily go out there right away and get involved uh, as volunteers in the programs that are happening. You know? And I'd love to like, fill every spot we have. That would be amazing. But here's what I do want to encourage is 100% of you, everybody in this room, to consider what gifts or talents God has given you. And then to truly ask yourself, are you using those gifts and talents to serve others within the community? Because here's the cool thing. That's what you were created to do. And we need you. You need us. That's part of being a body. And so my prayer is, is that more and more we would grow to love and appreciate our diversity and celebrate it. And that more and more we'd be using our gifts and talents to serve one another until we have full participation because that's what God has called us to. So let me pray for us. God, thank you that you have created us for community, which honestly sometimes uh, is hard because it reminds us that we need other people and that we're needed. And yet thank you that that reminds us both of our weaknesses and how you've wired us with certain gifts. And so I just pray for our body, for our church, for our community, that more and more that we would use our gifts, our talents to serve one another and allow ourselves to be served that we'd be a place that grows increasingly in diversity and a place that celebrates that diversity, even if it brings uh, hard times for some of us or, or uh, 
changes our preferences, but that we would be unified in you in the midst of that diversity. And pray that it would be all to your glory until one day you return and all is set perfect. We look forward to that in anticipation in your name.